Morning everyone, great to have you with us again today. I know we're in lockdown again, but at least we can still meet through the medium of the internet and the wonders of modern technology. And this morning we are looking once again at the life of John the Baptist, but more so on the life of Jesus this week. We're in the fourth session of our series called The Forerunner. The forerunner being John the Baptist. But if he was the forerunner, then he had to be a forerunner for someone or something that was to fall. And in Luke 27, sorry, in Luke chapter 7, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said this, he said, This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. And during the final segment of Luke chapter 1, he tells the story of the birth of John the Baptist, who was, according to Jesus, as we've just heard, the greatest man who ever lived. And immediately after that, he tells the story of Jesus' birth. And what's he doing? He's comparing the greatest man who ever lived to the only God who ever lived. Jesus. John's purpose in life was to point people to Jesus. Nothing was or is more important. Now let me ask you this question. Do you see yourself as an evangelist? Do you see the most important thing in your life as being to tell others about Jesus? That's a tough and challenging question, isn't it? But if your answer is no, then think about it and explain to yourself what is more important and why? You see, when we view life through the lens of eternity, when we look back at our lives through the rearview mirror, so to speak, and we see how much and how quickly it's all gone, we gain a fresh perspective on what's really important. This body of mine is 65 years old, and as much as I try to keep it healthy and fit, it's wearing out. And I'm definitely in the final quarter of my life. So purpose, meaning, stuff accumulated, things start to have a different perspective. I know for sure that the things I worried about uh, when I was in my 20s and 30s and 40s seem insignificant now. I survived all those issues. I'm still here. I'm still breathing and I'm sure God's still got a purpose for me. But at the time when John and shortly afterwards uh, Jesus were born, the emperor of Rome decided to number his people. Caesar Augustus wanted to make sure that they were all paying their taxes. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? And the same Caesar was actually credited with creating the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. And as Rome controlled about a third of the known world at that time, he was pretty much given credit for establishing worldwide peace. And as Roman Emperor, Caesar was called Saviour and Lord by his citizens. A herald announced him wherever he went, and a choir accompanied him and sang his praises. Now, when we think about the, uh, sort of the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus, have you ever wondered why Joseph took his heavily pregnant wife, Mary, on a 90-mile trek some 1,400 feet up in hill country from Nazareth to Bethlehem 
just because Caesar had called for a census. Well, Caesar was interested in property taxes. So he required people to register not where they worked, but where they owned property. And this forced our carpenter called Joseph to travel 90 miles south from his job in Nazareth to his ancestral home in Bethlehem. As a descendant of David, he and his brothers and his cousins owned property there. Now, most of the empire at that time taxed the head of each household. But in Syria, they taxed women also. And that's why Joseph was accompanied by his pregnant wife, Mary. Arriving in Bethlehem, however, a bit of a dilemma. Lords of Joseph's relatives had also come to register, so the place was overflowing. Even the place where the animals stayed was full. Mary needed some privacy to give birth, obviously. So the couple chose to stay in a cave next to the house, the cave where the animals were housed during the winter. And it was then that all heaven broke loose. Yes, we often use that phrase, all hell broke loose, to describe chaos. But in our case, heaven broke loose. At first, just a single angel appeared about a mile north of the stable, over the field where the sheep were raised for slaughter in the temple, in Jerusalem, five miles further north. Shepherds were in the watchtowers that surrounded that field and were minding their own business when the angel of the Lord announced the birth of the Saviour. Now his announcement was followed immediately by an army of angels who'd been waiting for nine months, well probably for all eternity, to sing their anthem song, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all men. The hills surrounding the shepherds' fields are lined with caves and those caves have become so sacred, they've all been turned into worship chapels today. And people worship there because the greatest news in history was announced there. Now it's wonderful to get good news, isn't it? We're not seeing much of that these days. But the shepherds decided to investigate the birth for themselves. And when they saw the Messiah in the manger, they were overjoyed. And their intuitive response was to tell everyone, everyone they could find, that the saviour of the world was born. Those shepherds were, if you like, the first evangelists of the Christian era. They were Jesus' first worshippers. Now, Jesus' mother, Mary, she took this all in and she thought deeply about it. What did it all mean? What was going to happen now that Messiah was in the world? And years later, she told it all to Luke. And he recorded it carefully so that we might know and believe. And when Luke recorded the story, he wanted to be sure that no one missed the point. Luke was convinced by the evidence that Jesus was greater than the greatest man who ever lived, John the Baptist. And furthermore, that he was greater than the most powerful man alive, who was Caesar Augustus. 
So he wrote his story to tell us the story and to compare Jesus to both John and to Caesar. So how do they compare? Why was Jesus greater than John? Both John and Jesus had miraculous births. John was born to elderly parents. Jesus was born to a virgin. Which was the harder miracle? Well, John's birth to elderly parents was improbable. Being born of a virgin is impossible. Now, Elizabeth, John's mother, gave birth in her home. Mary gave birth in Bethlehem. You see, Elizabeth's birth was normal. Mary's delivery in Bethlehem was 90 miles from her home and in direct fulfillment of a 500-year-old prophecy that was given in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 in the Old Testament. Check it out. John's birth was announced by Elizabeth, but Jesus' birth was announced by an angel. Zechariah, John's dad, he sang a song at John's birth. But a choir of angels sang at Jesus' birth. Everyone who heard about John's birth was impressed. But everyone who heard about Jesus' birth was amazed. The greatest man who ever lived can't compare to the only God who ever lived. Now how about Luke's comparison of Caesar Augustus to Jesus. At that time, as I've said, the Romans governed about a third of the population of the earth and their ruler Caesar was so powerful, they called him August, which means majestic one. I wonder if that's what my mom was thinking. I've told you before, she called me a golden boy. Maybe it's because I was born in August, but that's another story. Why was Jesus greater than Caesar? Caesar's birth was noble. Jesus' birth was humble. There was pomp and circumstances surrounding the birth of any Roman noble in those days. There was nothing pompous, only lowly circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus in a cave. And you really can't score this one yet because we've got to collect some more facts before we can decide which was the more impressive. It depends on how you measure impressiveness. So let's compare heralds. Caesar's herald was a human. Jesus' herald was an angel. Caesar had a choir to sing about his glory, but Jesus had a better choir, a choir of angels. An army of the heavenly host is how it's described. So it's kind of toenail to Jesus over Caesar. And maybe it's time to say that for someone with the resources that Jesus had at his disposal, to let himself have a humble birth so that we could all identify with him, maybe one of the most impressive things about him. He was so impressive, he didn't need to impress us with a pompous birth. In the first century world, everyone knew that Caesar was called Saviour and Lord. Jesus is saviour and lord by the time jesus was through everyone who investigated his accomplishments knew that jesus was and is the saviour 
and Lord. Now Caesar demonstrated his power by issuing a decree, but God demonstrated his love by sending his son. Love is more powerful than any decree. Remember that. Caesar sent Joseph to Bethlehem to ensure he would pay his taxes. God sent Jesus to Bethlehem to ensure he would pay for our sins. This is the God who cares for us, not the ruler who wants things from us. Look around the world at the leaders, past and present. What did they want? They wanted power and they wanted submission from us. That's not what our God wants. Look at religions around the world. They seem to live in fear of a God who demands things from them. They have to do things to try and keep this God happy. That's not our God. That's not Jesus who loves and cares for us. He doesn't want anything from us. He wants to do things for us. When we step back and we look at the whole story in context, Luke's not saying that this is a birth like no other. He's saying this is a life like no other. Compare Jesus to anyone, to the greatest of humans or the greatest of kings, and there is no comparison. In the time in which Jesus was born, Caesar was the most powerful name in the world. Israel was just a little backwater, uh, a nothing part of the empire. Nobody knew Jesus' names like Joseph and Mary. But today, certainly in the Latin American world, we name our children Jesus and Joseph and Mary. Yet we name our dogs Caesar. Jesus Christ is Lord, Saviour, Messiah and King. He is worthy of our worship and that's why we sing to him. That's why people in churches raise their hands to him. That's why Jesus freely and readily receives our praise and worship, our offerings and our exaltation. And that's why you should tell anyone who ever wonders if Jesus would want to be worshipped. Jesus has to be worshipped. He's the great one and we are his subjects. And I'm happy to be one of his subjects. I would rather be no one else's subject, that's for sure. In the future, if you're ever hard pressed to articulate how you know this, turn to this passage and say this. Jesus is greater, Jesus is worthy of all my praise and worship. Whoever you're comparing to Jesus, Jesus is greater. He has no rival, he has no equal, he is the name above all names. He came to give us because he didn't need anything from us. He only wanted things for us. Remember that. His name is Jesus, in Hebrew, Yeshua, which means saviour. And he came to save us from the justice we deserve for the things that we've done wrong. And let me ask you this. Can you honestly say, can you look in the mirror and say that you've never done anything wrong? You've never said anything wrong? You've never thought anything wrong? 
I'm sure if you're anything like me, the answer is, whoa, yeah, I've done things wrong. I've said things wrong. I've regretted actions and words. And I deserve justice. But the, the justice I deserve uh, wouldn't see me languishing in the presence of God being lauded. It would see me somewhere far less pleasant. But Jesus came to offer us forgiveness and eternal life. No one else has done that because no one else can do that. And you can say this after me. Jesus means saviour. Say this, Messiah means anointed or chosen one. The one who was promised, the one who was foretold, the one who is for us. Say this, Emmanuel means God with us because Jesus was God in our body. Luke says, Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And he says, the shepherds, they reported the message they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Read Luke chapter 2 again. You'll see it all there. You see, Mary's response was to meditate, which means to think deeply about all that had happened. And so often we don't really think deeply about these things. We kind of read the scriptures um, in a superficial way and, um, and we don't spend much time thinking about the actual meaning behind it. Mary responded by meditating on those things. The shepherds worshipped and told others. The shepherd's response was to worship him and to tell others about him. What should our response be? So what I'd like you to do is just to find a quiet spot, think about Jesus and thank him for coming. And as we're approaching what the world calls the festive season in this coronavirus infected world, find a friend or two and say this, hey, this Jesus thing, this birth at Christmas was real. Can I tell you about it? And therein, you can offer hope in a fear-ridden world. So be bold, be courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. Go in peace, go in love. Amen. And have a great week.